Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to be your host, where I get to introduce listeners to empowering women who are making a real difference. Joining me today is my friend, Lisa Morales-Hellebell. I'm very excited to have her on. Lisa is co-founder and general partner of Refashion Ventures, an early stage supply chain tech venture fund that is investing in startups, refashioning global supply chains. So basically helping um, global supply chains doing things, you know, leverage technology in new and cutting ways. She's also co-founder of the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation, which is a global group that's changing how supply chain professionals learn, collaborate, and adopt supply chain innovation. Lisa's background, it's amazing, reads like a who's who in technology, um, not only technology, but supply chain and diversity. Lisa founded and launched the New York Fashion Tech Lab a few years ago with Springboard Enterprises and the Partnership Fund for New York City. And her previous fashion tech startup, Shopsy, raised capital and participated in Techstars after she was selected as one of the top 10 women in DC tech. Lisa is passionate about diversity. She is an active advocate for organizations that help minorities gain access to opportunities for funding, championship, and growth. Lisa serves on the advisory board of Puerto Rican Accelerator, Parallel 18, excuse me, Puerto Rican Accelerator, Parallel 18, the luxury resale site Le Prix, and the board of directors for the Center for Advancing Innovation. And if that's not enough, Lisa's also been featured in numerous publications. Um, in fact, she was profiled in the best-selling book, Disruptors, Success Strategies from Women Who Break the Mold. And she was recently named one of the top women in supply chain by supply and demand chain executive and two years running as one of the top 100 women in supply chain. So Lisa, I'm, 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 at a, I'm exhausted just even reading this. Um, <laughs> But as you're about to hear, Lisa is incredibly bright, compassionate, energetic, and definitely fearless. She's a master juggler, building a company and raising a family. I don't know how she does it. Um, and she makes it look so easy. So, but enough from me. Let's go to Lisa. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. So Lisa, tell our listeners about your background. I always, you know, it, it, that's where it really starts, right? The early influencers and your parents and, you know, tell us more about where, where you grew up. What was your family like? Who were the early influencers and mentors? Sure thing. I am a proud New Yorkan, Puerto Rican from the Bronx. Both Yay. my parents, both my parents come from the island, and my family comes from uh, pig farmers and seamstresses back in Puerto Rico. Um, and recently, I just found out that one of my great grandfathers was uh, an engineer on the Suez Canal. So wow. <laughs> supply chain is literally in my blood. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I absolutely do agree that your influences shape who you become. They don't define you, but they definitely shape you. And so being a Puerto Rican uh in New York, my parents wanted to get us out of the Bronx and moved us up to Westchester rather early, uh, giving us access to better opportunities and better schooling. And unfortunately, you can pick your school district, you can't pick your neighbors. And we were living two doors down from a, a neo-Nazi family that made it really uh, painful 
to be oh. one of the only brown families in the neighborhood. Oh. Um, so, yeah. of course, it shaped and uh, created a lot of stress and pain. And I would come home some days crying and share with my mom. And no matter what, she would always say the same thing. Lisita, you deserve to have your voice heard in any room. Just hold, hold your head high and prove your worth. And oh. those words have really served me throughout my life and my career, and I believe have been the guiding star for pretty much every decision. I like to always prove my worth, add value, and aim for the hardest thing that people say isn't possible. Oh. <laughs> kind, kind of a chip on my shoulder, maybe, <laughs> but, a, but a good one if you're going to have one. A, a good chip, a good yeah. chip. <laughs> but I and love so, your mom. And, and, uh, and your, what about your dad? Yeah, my, my dad was a principal in the South Bronx, and he would give us access to technology, even though we did not have um, money to buy the latest computers. He would borrow, you know, a Macintosh for the weekend to bring it home for us, or a Commodore 64, Atari, all the earliest stuff. And we, we never felt we were lacking in tech and innovation. And it, it really opened my eyes and made me um, fall in love with the two things that were the biggest early influences, um, technology, and then my mom uh, sewing clothing for us and bringing me to fabric stores, looking through rem remnant racks for uh, the discount textiles, and I would choose the ones that I thought were the nicest. We'd select our own Butterick or McCormick patterns, and oh. I'd customize them with her, and we'd sew. Um, we couldn't afford the Jordache jeans, but she taught me that you can have great style without having a lot of money, and to take pride in your own creativity. Absolutely. Wow. And that's, I mean, I, I can see that influencing your career track. I mean, the, the three things that we see clearly are entrepreneurship, technology, and supply chain. Um, what attracted you to supply chain in particular? Well, I don't know that it was a natural, well, I guess it was kind of a natural transition, but it was a kind of a culmination of all the steps I've made throughout my career. I had, um, done design and branding and architected massive systems, went through Techstars, raised capital, and all these things were better shaping and informing, adding to my tool kit of, um, of expertise. Mm -hmm. And then my areas of interest around fashion kept growing and growing, ultimately culminating with me founding and building the New York Fashion Tech Lab. Mm -hmm. The first ever accelerator really partnered with the C-suite executives at the major brands and retailers. I, I had almost a year behind closed doors talking to these C-suite executives and was privy to so many insights that most people wouldn't really know what to do with, but because of my focus and obsession with this space um, and having had uh, 20 years prior exposure to mass customization, personalization on demand through a Silicon Valley startup I was fortunate enough to work at, I could see the writing on the walls and piece together that an accelerator was really just putting lipstick on the pig because mm. none of these C-suite executives were investing in or caring to take the bold steps and measures that they needed to, to change the course of their company. They would rather get incremental wins that would get them their bonus rather than 
do the hard things. And the hard things really were the supply chain. So I left after the first cohort and with armed with my new insights and spent a year studying the apparel supply chain on my own time and my own money, just going into maker labs, cut and sew shops, ateliers, universities, factories of all different sizes, learning the ins and outs of the current paradigm, why it's so broken, and why everyone is making it seem like it's an impossibility to fix the the major issues across our now globalized supply chains. Tying that back Mm -hmm. to what I did 20 years prior and looking forward to the fourth industrial revolution, I came up with my own thesis and localization of apparel supply chains is now my obsession. It's the Mm. only thing we should all be focusing on, putting our money and resources behind to create efficiencies and carbon, uh, reduce our carbon impact, reduce our water and chemical usage to create local economic stability and security, Mm -hmm. um, create supply chain resiliency and reduction of risk. Um, All these things are baked into localization. So that's what I've dedicated the rest of my life to. And and it's not just the, the fashion or apparel industry. It's a, it's across all industries. Yeah, there are a surprising number of products that can and should be produced locally. You know, we we look at how the last revolution, um, industrial revolution, really sparked automation at such scale with uh, computers. But it really is now with the fourth industrial revolution that everything is being digitized. You can truly understand how how obscenely um, massive our current supply chains are. Do we really need mm-hmm. to be growing oranges in one country, sending them to another for uh you know, different ports and distribution and then distributing them around the world so you can have a selection of, you know, a certain type of specialty orange in your local market. Mm -hmm. Um, It really is, uh, you know, the first world countries that are impacting the rest of the world um, because of our need and obsession with convenience and um, selection. Mm -hmm. So if we just look at what we really truly need, what's most critical, we can and should focus on producing those things locally. So tell this is I think this thinking is what led you to build Refashion Ventures, right? Yeah, yeah, really. Um, I met Brian, my co-founder, Brian Longaway, uh, in 2016. We had a little, you know, coffee meeting. Thought it would be half an hour, and he and I ended up talking for almost two hours nonstop about supply chains. I had just come out of my year of research and told him I wanted to join somebody else's fund to build a fashion supply chain vertical. And at the very first meeting, he's like, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. I was like, (laughs) yeah, why? And so he said, you know, you just told me that VCs aren't understanding the fashion space. They don't understand the fashion supply chain space. There's a preponderance of female founders in this space who receive less than 2% of all venture capital. Brian was not up for this. Yeah. So he told me that, you know, I had just explained to him how VCs aren't really understanding or investing in fashion tech. They're not really understanding or investing in supply chain or fashion supply chain. And that 
there was a preponderance of female founders in fashion tech and fashion supply chain, and that all female founders received less than 2% of all venture capital. And unfortunately, mm. that is trending in the downward trajectory instead of the upward. Yeah. Um, so he said, you know, you would be the junior most person at a fund where you knew the most about these deals, and none of them would get done. You're going to have to build your own fund. So now he's joined me. <laughs> It's really um, both of our obsession, and we couldn't be more complimentary. His background being, uh, he comes from Ghana, grew up in a village in Ghana where his family were uh, goat and chicken farmers, and he hasn't lived at home since he was 12, which I I so admire about him and his understanding of, again, much like myself, parents saying, you deserve to have a voice and an impact in any space to really just find your passion and prove your worth. So he left when he was 12 to get a better education. Mm -hmm. And he has been in finance for about 20 years, building and scaling uh, venture funds. So you both really compliment, you you compliment each other. So so tell us about refashion ventures. You know, what, what, what is it? What are you working on? What's your vision for it? Yeah. So At the time when Brian and I met, we realized that supply chain was an underestimated and misunderstood segment and wasn't Mm -hmm. really getting the proper attention from VCs. We want to be the go-to fund for any supply chain innovations across the four main areas that we invest, which Mm -hmm. is data and AI, advanced logistics, advanced manufacturing, and advanced materials. All of those things are critical to the future of our supply chains, and we believe that the best innovations don't necessarily come from warm intros. They don't even necessarily come from your own country or network. So we started by casting a wide net and creating a really inclusive community by forming and founding the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. Mm -hmm. Our first event in 2017 We thought maybe 30 people would show up in New York. It was about 150 people, standing room only. We had to kick people out at the end of the night. Go (laughs) home, you crazy kids. We'll see you next month. Um, So we started with community, and that community has grown to almost 4,000 members now on every continent except for Antarctica, Mm. and over 33,000 in our collective network of C-suite executives we call the buyers, and the best of emerging technology founders, the builders. We create the safe space for them to come together and actually collaborate and iterate on their creations so that they have champions within these big companies when they go to sell into them. And it's part of our secret sauce as a fund to have this really highly engaged and and wildly enthusiastic community of builders and buyers that send Mm -hmm. us deal flow and support everyone in our network. That's great. That's amazing. You know, we touched on something earlier that I thought was um, just key, you know, in terms of um, 2.4% less than half of women are founding partners, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and, and meanwhile, we know that companies who embrace female leadership end up outperforming those who don't. Um, what are your observations about this and what do we need to do to change it? Yeah, you know, having been a founder and being on both sides of the equation now, I realize that um, like many things in life, 
you need to put your energy where your energy is going to be amplified rather than uh, killed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a lot of founders, unfortunately, a lot of female founders and minority founders end up chasing the big funds that are frankly not seeing their worth. And so there's a massive opportunity for people like myself, like Brian, like so many other funds that are being launched. Actually, Catherine Finney just launched Genius Guild um, to invest in people of color. And these types of funds, we're carving out our own seat at the table and Mm -hmm. being inclusive to our own networks because we recognize the value that has been overlooked and underestimated for so long. So I'm, I've, no longer looking to change people's minds to give me a seat at their table. I think it's time for us to build our own table and invite our peers so that we can reap the upside of their increased profitability. And, um, you know, people are leaving money on the table. I'm happy to take it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what's interesting is the, um, the meetups and the power of that. So, so you and Brian started the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. I remember back in, in New York, and it was 2019, um, you saying that, well, we're going to try and see if we can get like 100 people together, 150 people together, and it ended up being like 600. Um, you want to, and that was, I mean, to me, that was so powerful. Um, yeah. Bringing all these people together. Yeah, so we um, we had our first two-day summit in mm-hmm. 2019 at Microsoft, right? Thankfully, the year before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that two-day summit, we just tweet, Brian tweeted out to our network, hey, who would like to join us in New York City for a global supply chain summit in two and a half months? <laughs> and, <laughs> and within two hours, he had, um, I don't know, 10 companies that had said, hey, count me in. I'm flying in on my own dime. And we even had... Uh, people from the Economic Development Council of Singapore fly in to talk. It became a real global summit with 15 different uh, speakers flying in from around the world, representing, I think it was uh, 30 different countries. We had two days, and over the two days, we had about 400 people each day showing up for this event that was really built by the community, for the community, and with the community. Um, we have a video on our on our website at the worldwide supply chain federation.com you can you can sense the the specialness and connectivity and in- inclusivity of the community that we've built just through that video most events and- with tech don't have uh, an even split of women and men and then you layer on uh, events with supply chain tech and we're really proud to show that our community is about evenly split between men and women and diverse people of color. Yeah, which is amazing. And I I remember being there and just being awestruck by it. Um, It was also just, I want to add for our listeners, this this was all free. So people who attended the conference went for free. People who came and spoke came, came on their dime. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, that at end, I think we had Domino's pizza and warm water. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We're not luring them with fancy meals or anything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and now you and Brian also wrote a book um, called the world is a supply chain. Can you give us a, a snapshot into that? And what, what's the takeaway for our listeners? Sure thing. Yeah, we wrote that because we really wanted to put uh, a message out to the world about the importance of supply chains and 
their fragility currently across globalized supply chains due to things like the massive increase in the world's population. Mm -hmm. Just since the turn of the century, year 2000, we've had exponential growth of billions of people on this planet like we've never seen before. Couple that with climate change, you know, an entire continent can be on fire or half of the United States, Mm -hmm. Um, massive weather, severe weather patterns. Um, it's, it's just becoming a new normal and increasing, which is creating increased supply chain risk yeah. on top of just, you know, human error, like the Suez Canal recently. These yes. are things yeah. that are creating massive disruptions and massive risk, which means massive loss of profits. So the more you can uh, understand all the components of the supply chain and how we're all interconnected. That's really what the meaning of our tagline and our title of our book is, the world is a supply chain. It used to be that supply chains were thought of as just logistics, maybe moving a box from point A to point B, but now it's becoming more and more prevalent that everything is connected to everything else. Thanks to the fourth industrial revolution, cyber physical systems, beacons, IOT, Everything can literally speak to everything else in a way that's never existed before on our planet, which represents the biggest single opportunity for not only investment, larger than the advent of mobile iOS or even the internet or computer operating systems, I believe, Um, and it also ties our choices directly to how they're impacting the planet. If we want to course correct on climate change, we need to stop putting it on the consumer's shoulders and place it where the the responsibility where it belongs. It is tied directly to the choices businesses make across their supply chains. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And now we're the book is free. Where can people get a copy of it? They can go to refashioned.com. So that's refashion, letter D, dot com. And right on our homepage, there's a book to download the book, uh, a link to download the booklet. Okay. And, and it is wonderful. I can, I can vouch for that. So, so Lisa, with the, just to go back for a second on, on refashion, the, the refashion partners and what you're trying to do there, what stage are you at and, and what would you like to see? I know you're, you're actively looking at investors and investing options. Absolutely. Actually, Brian and I have landed on developing a angelist rolling fund for mm-hmm. refashion ventures. And because it's a 506C, we can speak about it publicly Yay. <laughs> and, and solicit investors. So we are currently actively raising. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also can find information on investing in refashion ventures at refashioned.com slash invest. Now, anybody can invest in this. So you have to be an accredited investor, Mm -hmm. which um, we also include links on the the website to explain what exactly that definition means, because the SEC has updated it recently. But um, the the threshold, the check size is much smaller. So if you're an accredited investor who does angel investments and you're more comfortable doing maybe a $10,000, $12,000 check every three months, that is exactly what this fund is is set up for. So mm. our minimum check size is twelve and a half thousand dollars every 
every quarter and every mm-hmm. quarter becomes its own micro fund. So as a result, the deals that we do in each quarter are tied to that quarter's uh, subscription. If you're putting in 12 and a half, then you will be subscribed to that quarter. We recommend that people subscribe to at least four or ideally eight quarters to get enough diversity of investment across the entire portfolio. So it kind of mimics your ability to do uh, angel investing, but amplified mm-hmm. because you'll, you don't have to do the diligence. You rely on experts that know the space inside and out, and we send you updates on what mm-hmm. uh, your investments are doing. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. I, I wish you lots of uh, good luck on that one. So, so we're coming to, I want to just be careful because of the, the, the time and we still have a bunch of stuff to cover. Um, you know, Lisa, you've had, you, you're inspiring so many other people in, in so many different ways. Um, of all the men and women that you've met over the years, who's inspired you the most and why? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get a little mushy, but I'm going to have to say, mushy's okay. mushy's good. Mushy's I'm going good. to have to say when it comes to business, um, it has to be my co-founder, Brian. He oh. has been such a champion, not only for women and people of color, but for me in particular, from that very first meeting, we became instant BFFs and he saw the value in my vision and has supported me in that for years now. Um, he is loyal, uh, and, um, one of the smartest people I know, he's also, we always make each other laugh constantly, but he, he really pushes me to challenge all of the preconceived notions that other people project onto me and us Mm -hmm. and says, nope, you got this. And so it's nice to always have that person that is pushing you to be a better version of yourself, um, in business. And my other mentor, um, I'd say maybe is obviously my parents, they were foundational and huge to where I've ended up, Mm -hmm. but, um, Carmen Busquets has become a huge, uh, inspiration to me and mentor, she is a woman that I thought was so outside of my circle for so many years. And I always had her on my list of people I would love to work with or even know. Can, and can it, you just tell our, our listeners who, who she is? Because some people sure. may not be familiar with her. Yeah. So Carmen Busquets was one of the first investors in and one of the largest investors in Net-A-Porter, Farfetch, Business of Fashion, Moda Operandi, List, basically everything amazing and luxury digital native she's had a major stake in. Mm-hmm. So she's had a massively impressive career as both an entrepreneur in fashion tech and an investor. So she's been my role model. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to her by another Latina woman that I admire, Sandra Campos, when she was the CEO at Diane von Furstenberg. Um, I first met Sandra and we were chatting in her office for like an hour and she got to know my passion and what I was working on and immediately said, oh my God, do you know Carmen? Carmen has to know you. And she emailed her, <laughs> she emailed her right away. And within a couple of weeks, I was having uh, you know, an afternoon, couple of hours in, in Carmen's um, condo in the city. So it really, that is the difference and importance of, I think, diverse networks, finding mm-hmm. your people that instantly see your value and want to amplify you rather than try to cut you down or, or feel intimidated by your success. People that amplify each other's success is where you need to focus your energies. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Lisa, what's the, just in, in looking back, what's the best advice that you ever got or, um, or best advice that you didn't, you could share that too. <laughs> that might be more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and how did it change you? Yeah. I've had a lot of people uh, tell me to wait my turn. You know, don't be so eager. You're still young. Wait your turn. Screw that. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you to decide when I'm ready for anything? Right. Um, And so I'd say that has been, um, you know, some of the best bad advice I've ever gotten because it just certainly egged me on to want to prove people wrong. Um, Mm. And then I think, you know, going back to my mom, always wanting to prove your worth, it's, it's invaluable advice and words at any point in your career. You should always be proving your value and contribute more than you're expected mm-hmm. um, or is expected of you. And always try to make everyone around you feel like you can amplify them and support them. And you'll always have a job and be highly sought after. Mm, that's great. That's great advice. Thank you. And one final question. I I, uh, I always like to add add this just for fun. Um, you know, on a lighter note, um, if, Lisa, if you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? <laughs> I'd say just one, just one. Gah. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, one is really hard because I. <laughs> I really, um, I'll, I'll pick the one thing that I, I know is one of my personal weaknesses. So okay. creativity is my strength and I can create visuals and explain things visually, but writing is my weakness. So I would love the superpower of being able to write, uh, you know, anything quickly and easily and thoroughly expressing exactly my intent in the same mm-hmm. way that I can visually. Um, so that would be my superpower. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's perfect. Well, well, and I think that's it. Oh, I, I, you know, I feel like we could go on and I'd love to delve more into uh, refashion, but we'll, we're going to get you back on and hear how things are going. And, uh, you know, particularly with the, uh, the, the rolling fund. Um, so, but Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your excellent insights. And if you could just tell people, where can they go? Um, to learn more about you. And then of course, uh, be able to download that copy of that book. Sure thing. Go to refashioned.com. That's R-E-F-A-S-H-I-O-N-D.com. And you can find info about investing in the rolling fund there, as well as downloading the booklet, The World is a Supply Chain. Wonderful. Wonderful. And you'll get more information about Lisa here uh, on this podcast attached to the audio. And uh, thank you. Thanks for everybody for listening. Um, We look forward to our next show. Stay tuned for more great stories like Lisa with Empowering Women. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.